Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Renee, we have a special episode today. We are sending down our feed, courtesy of our friends over at the legendary soccer podcast, Men and Blazers, an interview with Danil Medvedev. And actually listening to this interview he does with uh, our friends at Men and Blazers, I-, I found him to be unbelievably thoughtful and interesting and not shy in being honest with his feelings and... I just I found it to be so fascinating because what I heard out of him in the in this pod is somebody I expected and I hoped for and that's exactly what I got and I just I just think he's fascinating in every sense of the word and I've had my own um, you know situations with him on court um, post match interviews and also most notably in his loss at the Washington tournament a couple of years ago to Nick Kyrgios and his runner up speech there was unbelievable it was funny he was engaging and very nice and kind and then of course that ensued you know that summer that he had where he culminated in his loss at the U.S. Open but yeah I just I enjoy him I do I just I just really like this guy yeah me too I was really struck by sort of how jocular he is you, you watch him play and you think he's going to be sort of like Kaiser Soze because he's got such a sort of off-speed game but he's really funny he talks a lot about how you know he knew he would have to win differently and so he adjusted his game and doing all the other stuff like playing chess and video games growing up in Russia made him such a different mind. So it was a really cool look at what his mind is like. And he's also sort of fun. And like I said, really jocular, like he's kind of hamming it up with these guys in a way that I loved. I don't want to, I don't want to say anything about what, what he says on the podcast, but there were some really interesting things that he said that really opened my eyes to what, how he thinks um, and he's not a, he doesn't think like a normal tennis player. He thinks like a really thoughtful human being about how he wins tennis matches and what he wants to get out of things and how he turned that situation at the US Open where the crowd, I mean, essentially didn't like him and how he used it and then how he understood how to make it better. And I just, um, yeah, I just think he's really thoughtful. Uh, he's hit the best shot. I've One of the best shots I've ever seen this year at the Australian Open when he hit that running backhand passing shot. Uh, I think, I believe it was against Tsitsipas, Um it was just, it was literally, I don't even know how he hit it. Um, so this guy, not only is he thoughtful and, you know, very pragmatic with 
the way he thinks, but also as a tennis player, he's fantastic. It's an incredible amount of fun to watch him as it has been watching him in Miami. And again, if you liked the interview, obviously go check out Men in Blazers, the legendary soccer podcast. All of this was brought to you by Lacoste. So thank you so much, Lacoste, for having us. And we really hope you enjoyed this interview from the Men in Blazers team with Danil Medvedev. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! It's Rog and Davo here with a special episode of Men in Blazers. Yes, for a change, we get to talk about a sport we actually know something about. Tennis! A game we both love dearly, which makes this the debut of men in blazers on grass. Yes, Rog, tennis is back with the Miami Open on the hard courts of the Hard Rock Stadium, a tournament, oh, I love it. I've attended it so many times since it debuted in the mid-80s. It's where a 22-year-old Federer first played a 17-year-old Nadal in 2004, and now, after a one-year hiatus, it's going to be played in front of real, live, tennis-obsessed South Florida humans, including myself, starting next week. I can't wait to be there again and watch pro tennis in person. To celebrate... We've partnered with Lacoste, that dashing brand we've long adored, embodied by its founder, the French tennis legend René Lacoste, a darling romantic champion who won grand slams on the court while making time to invent the ball machine, the steel frame racket, and of course, the polo shirt off it. To me, Lacoste's always been a distinctive brand that connotes an elegance, a style, a daring. I've worn it from the age of 11 onwards and always felt at the heart of Lacoste there lies a mindset with which to attack life itself. Yeah, it's the most stylish of all tennis brands for sure. And its modern standard bearer is Daniil Medvedev, a young man as distinctive as René Lacoste was in his day. The bear to his crocodile, if you will. The 25-year-old Russian has emerged with his unique game to become one of the most fascinating and human stories in the tennis world on the men's side. Winner now of 10 career ATP titles, hoping to make Miami his 11th. He will take to the court head to toe in the latest high performance and snazzy Lacoste gear, a techno fiber 305 racket in his hands and his new Lacoste signature shoe the AGLT 21 Ultra which is as exceptional as he is on his feet. We talked to him about his early days, his rise and life lessons learned along the way. Oh such a joy to talk to a man who at this very moment is on the precipice of becoming the next great in the game. Here's our interview with Daniil Medvedev. Our guest today is a remarkable sporting maverick disruptor, a man who's danced a singular path to glory, melding an unorthodox playing style, elite athleticism, resilience and concentration superpowers to mentally grind down all comers. He's often said that he resembles Quentin Tarantino, but he blows away tennis conventions like Jules Winfield. Out of Moscow, via the south of France, a man who's just risen to number two in the world. It's a joy to welcome Mr. Daniil Medvedev. Hello, guys. Daniil, great to have you on the show. Your parents had you playing a lot of different sports when you were growing up. Age six, you went to your local swimming pool for a swimming lesson and you happened to see an ad for tennis training. Take us back to this moment because it changed your life. 
Yeah, it definitely did. <laughs> I didn't think at the time that it would. I know I dried my hair and everything, but I remember an advertisement. It's like when you go out of the swimming pool. So I actually don't remember if it was my mom or me who asked, okay, let's go try. And we went there and yeah, that was the first time I took a tennis racket. The first time you hit, did it just feel different to other sports you played? Uh, no, I was already hitting bombs, 200-kilometer surf when I was six <laughs> or straight away. You know. <laughs> I remember that they would not take everybody because they would not have place for everybody. They asked to play a ball with the wall. And of course, I never hold a racket in my life, so I don't know why they choose me, but I got in. <laughs> that six-foot-six, six-year-old, they were like, we want him. <laughs> How did playing against a wall develop your game early? In Russia, many young kids, I mean, not only in Russia, I play against a wall. I imagined an opponent against me, which would be definitely Roger or Rafa at the time. I just thought I'm playing against them and I have to try to win the point. It was basically impossible. The wall never misses. <laughs> Off the court, you were a chess player and a big, big gamer. Shout out to Rainbow Six. Two joys <laughs> which combine to give you a unique strategic approach to the game. Your friend, fellow Russian pro Andrei Rublev once said, back when you were kids, you, Daniil, would lob opponents for hours to win matches, sending them sprinting to the back of the court over and over again, wearing them down physically and emotionally until they had nothing left. What was going on in your head? Was it that you loved to toy and test your opponents? Uh, this was amazing matches. I was playing tournaments against definitely better opponents physically, technically. They were just better tennis players than me. So I understood that if I'm going to play normal, I'm never going to win the match. And I'm all about winning. I love winning. I hate to lose. That's why I get crazy sometimes on the court. And so many, many times, the only choice I had is to lob my opponents because they were too young to know how to deal with it. And that was my only chance to try to win. The style you proceeded to develop is unique. You learned the game in an era in which the big three dominated, shaping so many of your fellow next gens in the process. There are multiple baby feds and baby raffers, but Medvedev's style has always been your own. Your signature flat low blows, 100% pure Daniil. Seems like you never modeled your game on anyone. When I was young, you watch the best on the TV and then you think, okay, maybe I can take something from him, maybe a backhand serve or forehand. But the, the most important is to put the ball in the court, to make winners. That's what you have to do, you know, it doesn't matter which technique. So I tried to just make the best shot at the moment. I saw that people don't like my flat ball. Actually, when I was playing futures, at one moment it was even too much because I tried to play my backhand with the backspin. And I would miss a lot because of this. And that's when I thought, okay, I have to also know how to do a normal one with the spin. <laughs> step by step, I developed my game. Daniel, let's take you to the end of your junior career. 2014, you moved to the south of France, you turned pro, 18 years old. You've described yourself as not much of a dreamer. But take us back to those days, Daniel at 18, when you first joined the tour. What did you believe was really possible for you in tennis? To be honest, it was a very tough moment because coming from juniors to pros, I didn't get much help, I feel like, from anybody except my parents. It was not an easy time for them. So I felt a lot of pressure that I have to start making money. is just enough to maybe pay for practices because it was too expensive. Maybe you make a quarters of a futures and you get some money to pay your tickets back. And so it was not easy. I was not believing in much. I was just trying to improve just trying to win as many matches as possible. You had a mixed bag of results initially. Some big wins sprinkled in with a propensity in your own words to quote, go crazy at any moment. 
There was the occasional broken racket, friction with opponents, with umpires. For you, frustration and anger were often as great an opponent as the gent facing you on the other side of the net. What did you come to understand about why the demons came out when you played tennis? I still don't know. (laughs) I was a bit worse in juniors because we're all kids, so it's a very different world. I understood it when I came to Futures that it's really important in professional sport. In this case, I try to not get in a fight with an opponent because it's just another tennis player that just tries to win a match. And when you come to Futures, there will be some players of 30 years old and they're going to be like, okay, who is this 18-year-old kid starting to say, come on in my face about the demons? It still happens, definitely does, but I understood that I have to work on it if I want to win more tennis matches. And as I said, I'm all about winning. So I started working with a mental coach like three years ago. Since then, my results went up. For sure, it's not the only reason, but part of the job, I would say. What did you learn from the sports psychologist you started to work with about calming your anger, but still keeping the intensity which you need? Yeah, that's the most important because I would have some matches in juniors where this time, of course, I didn't have a sports psychologist or anybody. So my coach or my parents would tell me, Daniel, it doesn't help you to win matches. You need to be calm. And then I'm going to go out on the court. I would be calm, but then you don't have this excitement to win matches. It's like there is nothing inside of you. So it's very important to have this balance where you still have this fire to win, this desire, but that doesn't develop into smashing rackets. Whatever you were doing, it began to work. Picking up titles, Sydney, Winston-Salem, Tokyo. Yet you still remained outside the conversation about players poised to be tennis's next big thing on the men's side. In 2018, there was a wave of young talents, Hatchinov, Kyrgios, Shapo, all of whom were getting all the buzz back then. Now, we know, Daniil, you are extraordinarily competitive. How much did you think about that, about them and the buzz they were getting? Were you constantly measuring yourself against your peers? Yeah, I definitely feel like for many reasons. First of all, I was not that exposed in juniors. Then for sure for my gaming style, which can be, I guess, supposed for some people as boring. Plumbing the rankings, I was already passing some of these guys, but they were much more hype. And of course, sometimes it would be a little bit disappointing. You know, I would make a great shot on a tournament and nobody would post or talk about it. And I was like, damn, I'm trying my best. But the most important is the result and the rankings at the end of the day, at least for me. As soon as you climb the rankings even higher, you make even better results. That's when the attention comes in. And I feel like it even helps you to not get it too early because then you're going to have a lot of pressure on your shoulders. Everybody talking about you, saying you're the next number one. He's going to be the next one to get Roger out from tennis. I never had this. And when I got this, I was already prepared for it. I was ready. I knew how to deal with it. So I feel like that was a good pass to get. Your game kept developing, though, Daniil, below the radar, physically You are an extremely tall man, six foot six, long arms, but you've got a rare mix of big man power and small man mobility and shot making. You literally invent new angles for the flat ball. You drop shot from everywhere. Hatchinov once described you as an octopus. Do you take that as a compliment? I take it as a compliment as a tennis player, because that means it's tough to play against you. Like a lot of hands all over the court. You say all the balls, you make them come back. My first tennis coach, a Russian woman, Kruchkova Ekaterina is the name. Her golden rule of tennis, which she asked before every practice when you're six years old. So you come on first practice, you think, okay, I'm going to hit a thousand balls. I'm going to be so good. She asks, what's the golden rule of tennis? Uh, How can you win a match? 
And the golden rule for her was to pass one more time the ball than your opponent. As easy as that, you know? Simple. Even if he makes winner, it means that he passed the ball one more time than you. That's what I always kept in my mind. And I have been working really seriously with my physical coach for seven years already, especially the last three years. We put a lot of effort to make me a better tennis player physically. The small details, they worked really well. I'm fascinated by your mental approach because you are also known as a master of strategy, of point winning, a shapeshifter with the ability to change course almost mid-game, sometimes mid-point. One minute, you're serving rockets, dominating the net. The next, you're grinding from the baseline. Take us inside your mind. How does it happen? Do you have a plan A, plan B, plan C? We would develop the strategy with my coach, first of all, before the match on the tennis tour, unless it's a really old young guy coming with a wild card. Everybody knows each other. So we all know what are the weaknesses and what are the strong parts of your game. So just before the match, you try to refresh your mind with it. Okay, him, I'm going to play more on the backhand. I'm going to try to mix it up. And then during the match, since every match is different, every day is different, you try to adapt. All the best tennis players can do it. Just maybe... We don't talk much about it. That's what actually definitely Novak did against me in Australia. I didn't yet realize what, but if I play him next time, I'm going to try to prepare. And that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of matches where you have to adapt during the match. And that's a tougher thing because it's so tough to tell yourself, okay, I was returning from the back of the court. Now I'm going to step and just return from the baseline. It's really tough. This grueling form of tennis that you practice comes from your original Russian coach. I love this. But it's essentially forcing your opponents into playing tennis and running an ultra marathon at the same time. What is the mindset required to sustain this over three or four hours? I do this in practices. When I was really young, me to practice one hour was already a tough job physically and mentally. And at one moment, I understood that what you do on the practice courts is what comes in matches after. So you cannot practice one hour per day, twice a week, and then go play a Grand Slam. I'm trying on practices to reproduce these match situations where you're going to maybe run for two hours without missing the ball, trying to win points. Of course, we work with my coach on how to reproduce it. It's not easy sometimes. That's when in the match, I know that I'm capable of it. I know that on practices I did it. So there is no reason I wouldn't be able to do it in match. And that helped me a lot lately. Dostoevsky once wrote, in Notes from Underground, man is sometimes extraordinarily passionately in love with suffering. Your foes who you defeat have often wondered post-game if you're a machine. But what kind of toll do these long, painful games really take on you? Because they must hurt you also. Uh, yeah, of course. I actually remember one match against Guy Monfils in Rotterdam two years ago. And I remember his game plan. So he decided he's going to just give me easy balls and run. And so first three games, we had like rally of 50 shots. And I thought, okay, I'm going to cramp in 10 minutes. I couldn't breathe anymore. It was so tough. I didn't know what to do. And then I looked at him and he was the same. It always works both ways. And that's when it starts a physical and mental battle. Who is better this day, physically and mentally? And I like when my opponent suffers because you can see straight away if he tries to hide it. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Daniil will talk about his rise to number two in the world and the transformation that has powered it along the way. 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Daniil, you're a singular athlete. You've walked a unique journey to glory, and now you have a signature shoe that reflects that, the AGLT21 Ultra. It integrates your interests and passions off the court, like your gaming, your digital influences, and also your tennis. You were heavily involved in the design of the shoe. How would you describe it? Yeah, we worked really close with Lacoste on developing it, on making it the best shoe possible. I feel amazing in it, to be honest. It's all about how fast you run on the court. It's all about winning matches. Rene Lacoste, the maverick who created the Lacoste brand, was an incredible character who embodied sporting elegance and tenacity. Daniil, do you feel in a way that you channel him? Hopefully. It's not for me to decide, but I feel like I have a great connection with Lacoste family. I'm really proud of it. Okay, let's go win Miami. 2019 was your breakthrough season. Everything clicked. You beat Djokovic, the world number one at the time in Monte Carlo. You break into the top 10 for the first time. And then you hit the summer hard court swing, an incredible run of six straight finals at the US Open after your third round match against Feli Lopez. You became sort of the anti-hero of the tournament for a little bit, causing an entire stadium of insane New Yorkers to scream at you. But you reveled in it, telling the booing crowd, the energy you're giving me right now, guys, I think it will be enough for my next five matches. Can you describe how mentally you can feed off negative energy in a match? Yeah, to be honest, you saw in 2019 is probably the tournament I'm going to remember all my life, no matter which career I'm going to have, because it was special, you know, it was... Definitely first time when 12,000 people were booing me, all of them. <laughs> the thing is that I understood I made a mistake during the match as soon as it happened. So I knew that, okay, I made a mistake. Doesn't mean that I have to lose a match. It was a third round match was really important. I just won Cincinnati. I felt like I was playing great tennis. So I needed to turn this around and I wouldn't be able to win a match with all the crowd against me. And I went playing not against my opponent, but against the crowd. I said, okay, there is 12,000 people against me. I need to win against them. How do I do it? I need to take it as a challenge. I took it as a challenge after what happened. We all saw it. And the most important thing is by being myself and not hiding anything or trying to pretend someone I'm not. At the end of the tournament, everybody started saying, okay, maybe he's not that bad guy. And I really liked it. It was a nice moment because I managed to turn people on my side without faking it. That authenticity and tenacity ultimately won over New York in a way I've never seen before. It was so human. And it's been onwards and upwards since this winter, 
next level in your full Lacoste silhouette, beating the top three in the world, undefeated at the ATP finals, and then swaggering into the Australian Open into the final last month. Now a genuine front runner, dropping just two sets in a scorching run until you met that buzzsaw, Djokovic. You've now lost two Grand Slam finals. One, an epic, grueling five-hour heavyweight battle of wills. One, a more straightforward, straight-set loss. How long does the frustration last? And what do you tell yourself to renew your motivation after a Grand Slam final loss? Yeah, it's not easy. I think both of them were tough because in one of them, I definitely could have won the match. The US Open won, or we can talk about maybe small points and I would say, okay, maybe I would have won this point and maybe I would have won the match. In Australian Open, we definitely cannot say this because uh, there needs to be a lot of points to change. But both of these matches is huge experience. And I always said in my career, experience is a key. I always try to learn from my mistakes. That's how I won't have regrets at the end of my career. You know, I've done... All I can, if it's 10 Grand Slams, it's perfect. I'm really happy. If it's 21 and uh, Roger still have 20, well, it's amazing. If it's zero, well, at least I just need to have no regrets with myself. I just need to do everything uh, I can from my point of view. That's what I try to do after Ovex defeat. I just try to learn from it. If I have one more Australian Open final to play against him, I'm going to try to be very different, to prepare differently, to play differently. So what an amazing year it's been already. The Australian Open final, you lead Russia to the ATP Cup, you just win in Marseille. And now we're taping this a day after the rankings announced you as the number two in the world. The first time anyone besides the big three or Andy Murray has been that high since 2005. Can you describe how you feel in this moment? Is there satisfaction or does it just spur you on a deeper desire to climb that one last place that remains? Definitely both at the same time, because huge achievement, first of all, even semis of a Grand Slam is not enough anymore to climb up the rankings. I managed to do it by making some great results. I'm really happy about it to pass these monsters. Rafa, Roger, yes, he was not playing, of course, last year, but still. Dominic, who actually won a Grand Slam. All these people is just unbelievable. And of course, I'm always looking forward. As soon as you get something you never had, you try not to stop and you want to get more. Just want to see my limits. You've been a pro for six years now, Daniil, blazing your singular path to glory. You broke through. You made a name for yourself as a maverick, young underdog disruptor. How would you like to be seen now? To be honest, I never thought of how I would like to be seen. I just try to be myself. The higher you go, especially we can see it with the big three, you will have people who love you. You'll have people who admire you, who adore you, who can live without you, and you will have haters. It's just normal. I just want to be myself and I let people decide. Somebody likes me, somebody thinks I'm boring or my style is boring. Well, I cannot change just for the people, especially if you have one million people following you. Some of them won't like you. It's normal. So I'm just being myself and I let people decide what they think about me. What would the Medvedev of today say to the Medvedev of 2018 about the most important lesson that he needs to learn to get where you are now? That's a nice question because it's reflecting a little bit. I would say that because for sure Medvedev of 2018 was doubting a lot of things. The only thing I would say is continue the hard work you are doing and it's going to pay off. Daniil, I have to tell you, and I know I'm not alone in this. We find your approach to tennis, your approach to life inspiring. We wish you, your family, your team strength, health, success and courage. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And thanks for the interview, guys. 
What an impressive guy. I really admire the strategic, pragmatic way he's attacked his life and career. I'll never forget the way he won over that New York crowd at the 2019 US Open. And that which caused the New York Post to write, Medvedev is more New York than most New Yorkers. And it's true, that bloke is authentic, tenacious and incredibly human. We are so grateful to Daniil, his team and to Lacoste for their partnership. I've been wearing the AGLT21 Ultra all week on court. And while I've not been able to do his trick of simply lobbing my opponents to their doom, I swear it's added about three feet of kick to my second serve. Courage, bon chance, Godspeed. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.